say, did you hear him? I'll start over. This week when I was at the gym, um, I finally decided to talk to this guy that I see like nearly every day that I go. He's just big African-American, big muscles, strong dude. And I finally said, hey, I think I saw you drop off a kid at Manning this morning. I was dropping off my daughter. He said, oh, no, I was at the track. Uh, but that got us talking. And then we started cracking up with each other. And then I come to find out he's, he's, he's engaged and his fiance has a daughter who goes to Manning. And so we got to talking. I said, well, how long have you been engaged? And it had been quite a while. So, again, we're cutting up, cracking up. And then I tell him, but you know, I'm a pastor. So if you... If you need someone to marry you, I probably could. You never know what God does with stuff like that. But, you know, I don't know if you know it has a church or not, but I knew that could be an entry point into not only getting him married, but also to just continuing to build a relationship. And just maybe he'll teach me how he got this way. And maybe, maybe one day. Um, but it got me thinking about, it got me thinking about performing a wedding ceremony. I've done many and many of these. And I thought, man, that really goes along really well with what we're doing this morning. So if, if you had the privilege of having me do your wedding, at some point in the wedding, in the ceremony, I, we would come to this point where we would, uh, we would, there would be an exchange of the rings. And I would say this. Having this kind of love in your heart, you have chosen to exchange rings as the sign and seal of the vows you're making today. Though small in size, these rings are very large in significance. Made of precious metal, they remind us that love is not cheap nor common. Indeed, love may cost us dearly. And I'd go on to say some other very profound things that someone else read, uh, wrote, but I'm reading. But it's that, it's, what, made me, what really struck me this week what brought this back to my memory is I'm, 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 I'm trying to sell my services to, to this, this uh, uh, new friend at the gym. Was what, we, what I say there at that part about rings being precious metal. Precious metal. It reminds me of what Peter says in verse 18. It's where we ended last week. Remember how we ended last week? 1 Peter 1.18 Peter, after reminding these Christians of who they are, he gets into this, this part where he tells them, you've been redeemed. Here's what he says. 1 Peter 1.18, he says, For you know that, you were not, uh, that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Gold and silver are some of the most precious metals in our world, and yet they aren't the things that bought you out of your empty way of life. But gold and silver are so precious in our day still that we make rings out of those metals to represent the most precious, the most important relationship, that of a husband and a wife, this deep, deep love. And we use gold or silver to represent that most deep love. And yet, Peter says, it wasn't with those metals that you were bought. It's something else. That's where we want to go, That's where we want to go this morning. We're going to pick verse 19. Because really, last week, we kind of ended... Here it is. First Peter 1, 
we'll pick up with verse 19. Put this in parentheses. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. We just want to stop there for right now because really the gospel, the gospel is right there. And that one verse is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we want to unpack it. First thing I think you notice is that, it, that we're talking about blood. Blood. Here, Peter's tapping into this massive theme throughout the Bible that blood is the of all life. And it's not just that Jesus had blood, it's that His blood in particular really did something quite amazing for His people. It's precious because He's also the Lamb without defect, without spot, without any blemish. So His blood matters not only because blood blood is life. You don't have blood, you don't have life. It's because His blood in particular is the blood of a lamb without defect or blemish. And here, when he calls the blood of Christ of, uh, that it is a, of a lamb without defect or blemish, what Peter's doing is he's hyperlinking back into the Old Testament to the whole sacrificial system. It's where a pure animal would be killed. It's literally, its blood would be spilled. Its life would be given to cover the sins, the rebellion, the treason of God's people. In other words, for the covering of sin is an atonement. It would be an atonement for sin. So literally, the lifeblood of an animal would be spilled out to cover over the rebellion of God's people. It would be an atonement. Now you know there are dozens of scriptures we could look at. Let me just take one that I think is a good summary passage. Leviticus 17, verse 11. Here's what God says. For the life of a creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Your rebellion has to be dealt with. Your crime your crime has to have justice served. And yet, throughout the sacrificial system, God says an animal will cover it. An animal will take your place for your rebellion. Blood will be spilled. And that represents a, the life of the animal. It's not like the blood had some magic power, like we're, we're somehow embedded in a system of witchcraft. No, it's the blood that carries the life. It literally is the giving of, a, of life. And the most important... The most important lamb, the most important sacrifice in the Old Testament, if you remember, it comes at this moment when Israel is enslaved in Egypt. And God has sent, hundreds of years, He sends Moses and Aaron to His people in Egypt, and He says, I'm going to bring you out. And so Moses goes over and over again to Pharaoh, King Pharaoh in Egypt, and you know what happens. Pharaoh says, no, 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 no. And every time Pharaoh says no, God sends a plague. And over and over again, God, God is trying to make it very clear. He's bringing His people out. And yet Pharaoh again and again says no. And we get to this point in the story where finally God says, okay, I will kill every firstborn. Animal, 
human, every firstborn in Egypt will die. And that will finally be the cue for Pharaoh to let my people go. But what do you do about Israel? I mean, what are you going to do with God's people? Are you going to wipe out every firstborn in Israel? No, God tells His people there's something you can do. There's something you can do that will protect you. It will cover you from the angel of death that I will send into Egypt that will wipe out the, every firstborn. There's something that you can do to protect you. Here's, here's the story. Here's how it goes. Exodus 12. We're, we're not reading every verse exactly. We're taking some, uh, a, a large excerpt out of verses 1 through 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family. One for each household. And the animals you choose must be one-year-old males without defect. And you may take them for the sheep, from the sheep or the goats. Take, take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must be slaughtered. Uh, uh, sorry, of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of their door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. And that same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and I will strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. It was the blood that covered the people in each household. It was the blood of a lamb without defect. Without the blood, judgment came to your house. But if the blood of a spotless lamb gave their life, and you covered that blood over your doorframe, you were covered, you were atoned for. Now here's the problem with, with that sacrifice and the many more that come after. Now on that night, the people in each house, covered by the blood, they were saved. But it didn't take long for the people of Israel to eventually sin again. And again they rebel, and again they rebel, and again they rebel against their God. And so God has this system where they are to bring sacrifices regularly, day after day, to atone for their rebellion, to atone, to cover their cosmic treason. They keep rejecting their God, the God who saves them, and yet God says, if you bring the sacrifice, if, if a spotless animal is given over to cover your sin, your sins will be covered, they will be atoned for. You know, the problem with that is that there's no end to the sacrificial system. You've got to keep doing that day after day, month after month, and year after year. In the New Testament, their Hebrew writer looks back at that whole sacrificial system and he makes that very point. That all the sacrifices, there was no end. Here's what the Hebrew writer writes. We'll do this out of the New Living Translation. Hebrews 10, second part of verse 1 through verse 4. The sacrifices. Under that system, in the Old Testament were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, well, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once and for all. But instead, 
Well, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now, on surface, that's real depressing. So year after year, week after week, you are reminded that you are a rebel. That you are a person who commits cosmic treason. You are a person who never can get it right. And yet you keep coming and you keep having your sins atoned for, but you just wonder, when's the day when we finally have perfect purity? One day there'll be a lamb. There will be a sacrifice. Something's coming when finally we don't have to keep going to the temple to sacrifice bulls and goats and lambs. One day, one day, there'll be a lamb. Please, one day, let there be someone who covers us so that we don't have to keep doing this over and over, where we don't have to just keep trying our hardest all the time. Surely there's someone. Isn't it interesting that when John the Baptist comes on the scene, just on the cusp of the ministry of Jesus, there's this moment where John the Baptist looks out and he sees Jesus and he knew someone was coming. John chapter 1, verse 29 records what John the Baptist says. John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of those centuries waiting finally for a sacrifice, someone that will cover your wrongs. And you don't even have to be religious to know you do bad things. Someone was coming to make amends, to cover our treasons. Someone was coming and finally, oh, it's this man. The Lamb of God. He doesn't have spot. He doesn't have blemish. He will cover the sin of the world. He will cover the sin of His people. What a moment. And so, so this is all in the mind of Peter. And some of it's literally in his experience. He was probably there when John looked out and said, there's the Lamb of God. So when Peter pins the letter decades later that this Jesus, the Lamb, without spot or blemish, all of this is coming back. All of this is echoing. All of it's hyperlinked back in the sacrificial system into Jesus Himself, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so for Peter, the blood of Christ, the sacrificial death of Jesus, uh, it's tied into things like redemption and forgiveness, and eternal inheritance. I mean, it's all wrapped up in his sacrificial death. It's not just for Peter. The Hebrew writer ties all those things together. When we think about the blood of Christ, his sacrificial death, giving himself for others, it all gets wrapped up. Check out Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14 through 15. I'm going to read this in the New King James Version. It gets at the text better than, than others. How much more shall the blood of Christ, there it is, the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself, there's the sacrificial giving, without spot to God. And for this reason, He is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the, internal, of the inter, eternal inheritance. It's all that. When He gave His life up, when He gave His life up, when He who, who was without any blemish never, 
never rebelled against his against God the Father. This person gives his life away. He covers the sins of all of his people. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And how desperately we need that. So the Apostle Paul, as he reflects on all of this himself. So you have Peter, you have the Hebrew writer, and just take the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul, a man who killed people. A man who had Christians arrested and put in prison. A man who ordered the death of many. A man who was quite wicked. And when this man comes to know Jesus, it overwhelms him. And he gets to this point in one of his letters where he just summarizes the Gospel. Very much like Peter, but just with a, a slightly different angle. Here's what he says, First, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He's saying the same thing, just a different way. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. There's this one particular scholar that I really like. He, just, he talks about what's happening there in that verse. He says it this way. He said the guilt he, Jesus, bore was not his guilt, but he bore it as if it were his own. God put our guilt to Christ's account and made him pay the penalty for it. All the guilt of all the sins of all who would ever be saved was imputed to Christ. It was reckoned to his account as if he were guilty of all of it. And then God poured out the full fury of all of His wrath against all of that sin, and Jesus experienced it all. This does not mean that Jesus literally became sinful. No, it's as if you stole something and had to go to court, and I stepped in, I said, I'll take the punishment. I will take the guilt. Now, I didn't steal it. It wasn't something I did. It wasn't within my character. But I'll take on the guilt. I'll take on the punishment. If something like that actually happened to you, you would be eternally grateful to that person forever and ever and ever. I just recently read a story of a man. I'm not going to get it all the details right because I don't do stories well like this. But they both were in combat, and one one soldier took took the bullet for another, and it left the one who took the bullet disabled for the rest of his life. But the one the one saved. He took care of that one, the one who saved him for the rest of his life. Took care of his financial needs. Made sure he had resources to get where he needed to go. Because from that point on, he never forgot that the bullet meant for him, someone else took. Now the thing about us is that we actually deserve the bullet. Now I know that that's not popular in about us being bad people. We like the idea of thinking that we're good. We're just good people. In the perspective of God, from the perspective of the Bible, we all have fallen, sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God. We all want to establish our own kingdom, and that happens in all kinds of different ways. But you and I both know that in the end of the day, we wouldn't mind being the center of the universe. That's the thing we struggle with at, at the core. And that has to be dealt with. If I had a child right now, and I mean my own child right now, running through this sanctuary, yelling and screaming, I know one of you would eventually say, get this thing under control. That's what you tell me. Because you would have this sense of justice, like that's not right. Deal with that. 
from the perspective of the angels, we had to be dealt with. And in the perspective, from the perspective of the holiness of God, we had to be dealt with. And what Paul says here is that what Jesus did is he took the guilt. He took all that we were due and he put it and transferred it over to his account. It was imputed. It wasn't transferred. It was imputed. It was given to him. And he took on the punishment for all those that would be saved. And then, and then Christ takes all of his righteousness and he passes it back over to us. So that when we come into the presence of God, do you know who he sees? He sees Jesus. You see, our doorposts have been covered by the blood. And he passes right over and he sees the righteousness of Christ. Now, we have not literally become righteous on the inside. That's that whole sanctification thing, becoming more like God in everyday life. But in the eyes of God, it's immediate. You have now the righteousness of Christ. It is imputed to you. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could have the righteousness of God. I mean, that's the gospel. So verse 19, 1 Peter 1, 19, is the gospel. That you have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, a lamb without spot or blemish. That's the gospel. It's really good news. And, and my prayer is that I would feel that, you would feel that, and know the reality of that good news. But man, there's a lot more. There's a lot more we could say about Jesus. So if you just give me another moment, I want to tell you a few more things about Jesus. Actually, let's read. What Peter said, two observations. So after distilling the gospel into verse 19, he goes on to then expand it with four more dimensions of who Jesus is. Verse 20, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but it was revealed in these last times for your sake. And through him, through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead, glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Okay. Some quick observations. Things going on here. Let's take them in order real quick. I think the first one might be the one that might jar us the most. Chosen before the creation of the world. You ever ask the question, why did God create the world? Why did sin enter the world? Why did Adam and Eve have to sin? Why all, why all this bad stuff in this very good creation? I don't have a good answer, but I know this. That Christ... It had already been determined Christ would come before the creation was ever established. That's what I know. Before the foundation of the earth, Christ was preordained. He was not, it was not some spontaneous decision by God the Father to say, Oops, man, I really messed this thing up. Things have gone haywire. We better, we better come up with a plan. He was chosen before the creation of the world. So there was nothing random about Christ coming for our sake second thing we notice is that he was revealed in the last times. And most scholars think this refers to the incarnation. Literally, God in flesh came into the world. This is not a God distance somewhere out there. He revealed himself. He's not a God who just hides. He's a God who reveals himself. He reveals himself fundamentally in Jesus. And it's the last times because with Jesus, the world fundamentally changed. Third thing, he was raised from the dead. It's not just that He gave over His life. It's that God the Father confirmed His sacrificial death and all that it did when He, by His power and the Spirit, brought Him back to life. And so now Jesus is alive right now. 
And it is a massive signpost to the world that the death of Christ and all that He accomplished was accepted by God the Father and now salvation goes into the world. He was raised. And last, God glorified in Him. So after He was brought back to life, He then ascended to the Father and now Father and Son share in the glory they have had for eternity. All of that's right there in those just two verses. Okay, so with all that said, probably no surprise that salvation comes through this Jesus. It comes by Jesus and it comes through Jesus. It is by His power you believe and it is through Him you have salvation. He covered you, no one else. And my, so like I come to this question, I often come to this question, like if I, I have these moments where I want to get away from sounding religious and I just want to, I want to say something or ask a question in a way that maybe we would do in everyday life. And so here's the way I would ask this. If not Jesus, then who? Who will you go to? And I mean, really, I don't mean this, again, this is not a, I'm not mean this in some religious, some religious context. I mean, literally, if it's not Jesus, who will you go to to get things right? Have you ever tried getting it right yourself? You know why the self-help industry is a billion-dollar publishing industry? Because no one gets it right. You've got to keep going to the next expert. Who will you go to? Muhammad? Buddha? Confucius? I mean, take your pick. Who do you want? I go with Jesus because I've found no one else like Him. That's why I picked Jesus. So it's through Him. But that isn't just some big religious thing. It's just, it's just, the, it's just a, for me, also a logical step. And because by God's grace I now can see clearly, it, to me, I don't know where else I would go. I go with Jesus, the one raised, the one glorified. And interestingly, it's through Jesus then, let's go to the next slide, that we have faith and hope in God. You want to know why you can have hope in God no matter what your storm? Because Jesus is alive right now. That's why you can. Doesn't mean that your storm isn't going to like take you out. Your storm could take you out. But in the but in eternity, in the long run, in what matters, you are perfectly safe because of Jesus. So you can anchor your hope there. All right. You know how Jesus said this. I mean, if we were to just take the words of Jesus, John fourteen six is how Jesus. Here's how he said it: I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That's how Jesus says it. So if you want to make things right inside, you've got to have Jesus. I don't know another way. And I've tried a lot of other ways. It's Jesus. The Lamb without spot or blemish. Alright. Well, that's pretty heavy stuff. Right? That's, that's there's a lot going on there. So what in the world would we do for application here? Well, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to do two things. Slides up yet. I'm going to borrow from the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul. Just two application points. Man, this thing could go... There, there are an, an infinite amount of applications here, but I'm only going to pick two. Remember that Peter, the Apostle Peter, uh, he preached the first sermon, and he declared the Gospel. And then God, by the power of His Word, birthed belief into at least 3,000 of those people that were listening to Him. And when God broke that belief in them, immediately they asked Peter, what do we do? What do we do? Like, what do we do with this faith growing now in us? What do we do with this? What is our next step? We want to be part of this. 
you might be asking the same thing. If this is kind of your first journey with Jesus, or you've been away from Jesus for a very long time, and there are some key things you've never done, and God Himself is birthing in you faith, and you're wondering, what do I do? I'm just going to give you some Scripture. I think if it was good enough for the first sermon, it's good enough for us right now. Acts 2.38 exactly what Peter said. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you've never been baptized and never taken that step after God is doing something in you, my call to you is be baptized. Repent and be baptized. So I don't know where that lands. I don't know where it lands in the online world. But I would be remiss if I didn't at least get us to this point. Because when the first gospel was preached, Peter says after God was birthing something in, in, in at least 3,000 people. So if you've never repented and been baptized, that's where you need to be. Alright, second point. This one's going to get under all of our skin. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the Colossians, he's trying to teach them how to be like Jesus. And this core piece of the Gospel is that God forgave you, not because of anything you did, but because of His great mercy and grace. And now Peter, or Paul wants to tell these Christians, you have to do the same thing, by the way. Here's what he writes. Colossians 3.13 Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Like, come on. Really? And if you do that, you're going to have to like let some people off the hook. Who wants to let people off the hook? I don't want to let people off the hook. i got some people in my life that I'm still holding some grudges against, and it feels good. feels real good. Just, just this week, someone texted me about a particular person. A little self-righteousness emerged. Because we both, me and this person, we're right, and that person's wrong. But you forgive as the Lord forgave you. You remember what Jesus taught us to pray? I hope so. You said it earlier today. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's probably one of the scariest thoughts to imagine God forgiving us like we forgive other people. Wouldn't that be a scary thing? So here's my application for you on this and from myself. No, no, no. Back that up. Nope, nope. We're still in application. Just imagine you didn't see that. Good. Um... I know every one of us has someone in our lives that we don't like. Not just we don't like them, but we're still holding something against them. The call of the cross, the call of the gospel, is that you give away the same grace that you were given. Now that does not mean that you give them a pass. It doesn't mean you forget. But it means you no longer rehearse in your mind all the wrongs they did to you and all the ways you can get back to them. Or somehow how they're worse than you are. When we play that mind game, we're holding someone to account. And God says, particularly Pete Paul here says, you have to forgive them like Christ forgave you. Aren't you glad Christ is not rehearsing inside of His mind all the things you used to do to Him and you did this morning? Aren't you glad? Paul says, you have to bring that same thing now to other people. I am telling you that as a practitioner. Someone still trying to work that out on my own. 
This is why we need God's Word. Not because I've got this worked out and I bring it to you. It's because I am under the authority of the Word of God as well, and so I'm still working here too. And sometimes you've got to pray for these people. Whatever it is, I'm just saying I know every one of us has got somebody. So maybe you start by saying, God, I don't want to. Would you help me? Maybe that's what you do. And you pray that for ten years. God will help you. The Spirit will help you. There's no doubt. But we've got to own that one. All right. Next step. Here it is. So take all of that, and I want us to do this this week. Put a cross in front of your eyes each morning. I mean this literally. Like, put a some type of physical cross in front of your eyes every morning. Do you mean morning? Yes, I mean morning. Like, when you wake up. Let me tell you how I do this in our home. Elena Crow uh, painted this for me. I, I saw this painting in my in-law's house, and... This actually was painted by a prisoner, someone who was in jail. I think they had a lifetime sentence. Came to Jesus and he painted this. Um, he didn't paint this one. He painted the one that is in my in-law's house. And I said, man, I really love that. Um, what I love about it is I like the idea. Um, I'm trying to get that so it. I love the idea of being behind the cross. And just being humbled by what I'm, you know, by humbled by the scene. That that man is covering my treason. And, and there was a when we were there months ago in the morning, no one was up, and I just had a moment painting. And so I asked Elena, I said, could you paint this for me? So I took a picture, said, could you, could you do a rendition of it? And this is, this is what, she, what she gave me. It's a wonderful painting. So we have this in our family room. And every morning, nearly every morning, at some point I look at this. Just a few days ago, I had a temper tantrum. I, I blame Tess for a lot of things. I was really rude. And I woke up the next morning and I just said, I'm sorry. Not like, I'm sorry, but I want you to understand when you did this, this, and this, this is why I did this. No, it was just like, I'm sorry. And it was this painting that framed that, that confession. Because I, I got a lot of junk and I need to cross. And I know the people, by the way, that have hurt me, they got a lot of junk too. So thank God that that Christ did this for me. I need some help doing it for other people. So this has got a lot of things it might teach you. I don't know. It might, it might remind you that you're not the center of the universe. You needed someone to pay your debt. I don't know. It might teach you to be full of grace and mercy. It might remind you that you just need Jesus today right where you live. I, I don't know. But put the cross in front of you. And do not forget that your redemption, who you are, is tied to someone else's grace. Not your own strength, skills, or reputation. It is Jesus. Reminds me of when Paul said, I will boast in nothing else but the cross of Christ. That's what I want to do this week. So find a way to get a cross in front of your eyes at some point in the morning. And remember the gospel. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for everything. You have done for us through Christ. It is through Him we believe in You. We have trust. We have hope. And continue to forgive us. We know that we now carry the righteousness of Christ. Continue to make that reality in our character. And help us to make this real right where we live. Maybe for many of us that means forgiving people that have hurt us. And some it may be finally being baptized, repenting and being baptized. Wherever you find us, Holy Spirit, wherever you're going to take the Word and work it by your sovereignty, do it. 
And we thank you for that. In the name of him who is Lord and Savior, Jesus, the Lamb without spot or blemish. Together we say, Amen.